Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a master class from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in. All right, well, welcome again. I uh, mentioned this earlier, I just want to say it one more time, just because at the end of the sermon, we'll uh, take communion together. And so if you didn't have a chance to grab uh, the elements as you came in, uh, I'd love for you just while we're working through the passage this morning, you can take a second and go grab that, because uh, we're not going to pass that out during the service uh, or during, the, during that communion time. The, the, that'll kind of walk right into that from the... Uh, from the sermon. So we're, we're working through as over the past several weeks, kind of right before the summer started on through uh, really the middle part of August, we're working through the book of Romans in this series called Masterclass. And uh, we've, we've gotten to the point right now where we're in chapter 12, and this is really the final stretch of the letter uh, that Paul writes to the Romans. Uh, and so really kind of just really before we step into this final stretch, just to really overview, reminder of where we've been. Remember Romans chapters 1 through 8 is really kind of, it begins with this introduction and is from then on it's really the fullness, fullest explanation of the gospel that Paul gives us in all of his letters, right? And so he, it's not the only explanation. He writes it in all of the different, all different letters that he writes to different, to the Philippians and, and the Galatians. But in Romans he kind of explains it to, the, to its fullest and it's incredible uh, work through those first First eight, eight chapters where he talks about justification, the truth of justification, that God declares us righteous, not on our own, not because of things that we've done, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf. And then he talks about sanctification, which is that process of us becoming who God has declared that we are, right? We're, we are, he said that we are holy and we're becoming holy, that sanctification, we look more like Jesus. 9 through 11 is what some, some guys have, have kind of labeled as a parenthesis. I don't, I don't like the parentheses as if Paul kind of took a break from it. What he, what he really does is kind of tell us a little more. He, he talks uh, in detail, kind of confronts some big, big picture, heavy topics, talks about God's sovereignty and, and those kind of things. But he also addresses the, the question about Israel. And how, how the Israelites had rejected God and the unique role that they play in God's unfolding plan. And we kind of wrapped that up last week. And it was, it's an incredible, uh, as you walk through that, just what God said, what, what Paul says about, about the Israelites and how God is really, he's walking them through it. Last week we heard from Pastor Nick, our Nashville campus pastor, it was a, a streamed here. And, and just how he walked through that was incredible. And then we turn to chapter 12 through 16. And again, this is really that final stretch. And Paul's normal kind of pattern of things as he writes, he turns to the practical, to the application of what he's taught through. He says, in light of these foundational truths, this is the way that we live as followers of Jesus, as followers of Christ in our day-to-day -day lives, as, as we live in our neighborhoods, among our friends and our community, at our workplace, in, in government. This is how we live life in light of the truths of who we are because of what Christ has done in us and through us. 
One pastor, Lingen Duncan, says this. He says, so Paul has told us how, so much about the truth of God's grace and the sovereignty of God and the mercy of God and the free justification of God and so many other of these grand truths in chapters 1 through 11. And now comes chapter 12 and he begins to flesh out how all of these grand truths inform and transform the Christian life. And so now we, we come to this chapter 12, and it really is an epic chapter, right? It's one of those passages of Scripture that, that um, uh, is, is, it's a joy to preach, but it's also heavy because there's so much. I'm, honestly, I, I could do multiple sermons just on uh, a chapter, chapters, chapter 12, verses 1, through two, 1 and 2. I mean, there's, there's so much there, not to mention the rest of the chapter, the rest of the 21 verses that we have. And so what I want to do, what I hope that we can do over the next little is kind of give us an overview of this chapter and kind of what's there by reading through that. And really there's so much just instructional in reading it just reading through verses 3 through the end of the chapter and then kind of go back to verses 1 and 2 as kind of the, that's where the fountainhead, the, where, where all of this, with the instructions that he gives in the rest of the chapter kind of flows from the beginning in chapter, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And so if you're, if you're following along, if you have your Bibles or maybe you have a, um, an app that you're going to follow along, we're going to start in chapter 12, verse 3, read through the end of the chapter, and then we'll go back to chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 here in just a minute. But this is what, this is what he tells us. Kind of beginning, has verse 1 and 2, and then verse 3, it starts this. It says, For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment and according, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to you. And so right out, right out here, you know, this, again, we'll go back to verses 1 and 2. But right here he's telling, hey, listen, don't, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Have a sober, have a humble view of yourself and, what, and, and, the, and the grace that God has poured out on you. Verse 4 is, just as each of you has one body but many parts. And these members do not all have the same function. So, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to one another. Again, this is why we don't think of ourselves more highly than you are. Because I belong to you, you belong to me. As the body of Christ, we belong to each other. We're not the same body part, but we all function together. We have different gifts according to the grace that God has given us. If the gift is prophecy, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. If it's to give, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do so diligently. If it's to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. Right? He's not giving us an exhaustive list of the gifts that we have. One of those in there, serve. I'm just going to go back to this really quick as an infomercial. Remember in the beginning of the service, I told you we have core team sign up. This is a moment for you to, if it's serving, really this is all of us. All of us have this gift. You need to find your place to serve. But the, the whole thing, you're like, listen, if you, this is your gift, then use your gift is what he's saying. Right? You're gonna, you have a gift. All of us have a gift. We're many, many parts, one body. All of us have a function. Do your function. Do the thing that God has equipped you to do. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do that diligently. Show mercy. Do it cheerfully. If it's all of these different things. Verse 9, it continues. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, but cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. 
Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I love that. Never be lacking in zeal. The reality for a lot of folks as they walk with Christ, right? I know some of us have probably seen this, right? You, you start, maybe, maybe, you had, maybe you grew up in a church and you, you really begin to grow in your relationship with Christ, maybe in high school and college, and you have all this fervor and you're, you want to just go tackle the world and do everything in those early years. And then life kind of happens and you have kids and you get a mortgage and you have car payments and all those things. And that fervor for the Lord begins to kind of set aside because we have to have fervor to pay the bills. And sometimes the best days of our lives with Christ are behind us. And that is not with the picture that we see in scripture of what it means to walk with Jesus. Is that the best days of our life with Christ. That doesn't mean the easiest days. It doesn't mean the most joyful necessarily days or, or happy maybe, that, that's a better, but the most joyful and the best days of our lives with Christ are ahead of us as we grow in our relationship with Christ, as we continue in that fervor. And again, I'm just going to infomercial this again. It says spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. How we, we continue our fervor. We continue that growth and that excitement and that joy in walking with Christ when we serve the Lord. I'm probably going to go back to that commercial again multiple times during this. Maybe I felt, sound like I'm begging. Verse 12, it says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Just listen to the instructions. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice those who, are, who rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another and do not be proud, but willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Don't, do not repay evil for anyone, evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, then give him something to drink. And in doing so, you heap burning coals on their head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. These are I, what it, clear instructions as he starts off in chapter 12. I mean, again, this just, it, it, it's an incredible chapter, but it's not that it's, it, it, it's, not that it's so dense and, and you have to dig in really deep to figure out what all of these things. It's very clear in its instructions of how we live as people of God, as, the, as, as those who follow Jesus, as Jesus' people. What does it look like for us to live? It's clear instructions for us that, that honestly some of us need to go back to again and again. So that not some of us, all of us need to go back to again and again and hear it because we need these reminders. And this week is your daily steps. And, uh, you know, we've worked through all these 12 chapters so far. We're almost to the end. We want you to finish well. If you haven't been following along daily steps, we're just reading the chapter that we preach on Sunday. We're going to read that chapter for the next week. And we're just going to kind of slowly digest pieces of it. And I want to encourage you this week because, again, we're not going to be able to spend all the time that, we, that this passage deserves kind of working through it. So I want to invite you this week with me to really digest this passage, 
to slow down and read it and, and say, God, where, where do I need to, to step into things that you're kind of teaching me as these instructions are so clear about what it means for me to live as a person that follows you. But all of this comes from verses 1 and 2. The fountainhead of all of this instruction kind of flows from the place of verses 1 and 2. And this is what it says there. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, testing that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so what we want to talk about this over the next couple of minutes, and if you're following along on your worship guide, you can see that we're just going to walk through what it means, what, what, this, what God has called us to in this spiritual act of worship, as worship, worshiping God is the fountainhead for all of these instructions that he's going to follow in the rest of this chapter that we just read through. That the beginning of that is in light of God's mercy that we offer our bodies, that we live as those who worship him. And so the two things that we want to work through is what worship is and then secondly, what worship does. What worship is, so by definition, what worship is. And then, second, and then the second part, what worship does, what it does for us and how it transforms us. And so, again, if you're following along in the worship guide and you want to fill those out, what worship is is that first blank. And the second thing is a couple points that I want us to understand of what worship is. And the first one there is this, that worship is what we were created to do. And for this, we're not going to necessarily step right here in, the, in verses 1 and 2. We're going to step back to the beginning of Scripture and really kind of walk through kind of this overview of Scripture. Because I believe that, that Scripture at large tells us that this is what we were created for. That we were created to worship. It goes back to Genesis, that, Genesis 1 and 2, that God created us in His image to reflect that image and to make much of Him and to honor Him in all of the world, in all that we do, in every place that we go, to reflect that image of God. That we are image bearers of God so that when people see us, when they look at us, what God desires is that they see Him and ultimately that we point others to Him. So we worship Him. We were created for worship. Isaiah chapter 6, we read that the prophet Isaiah sees God and seated around the throne, there are angels calling out to one another incessantly forever and all time. It says that they called out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. It says when they did this, the foundations of the, of the threshold shook and the voice of one who called and the whole house was filled with smoke, it says that glory, they, they, they worship God. They tell of his holiness and his glory over and over again. And as one says it, the other one says, yes, that's awesome. And he's, then that, that angel says it back to the other one. And over and over, this concert of worship is around God's throne. That we were created, we were created. And in heaven today, around God's throne, there's worship that's happening. If you go to Revelation, it says that the picture of eternity is God's people gathered to him from every tribe and every tongue and every nation and ceaseless praise to God. 
That's what, we're, that's, that's what we were created for. It's the picture that we get in, in the Old Testament of what's happening in heaven. And it's where we're headed, that worship is, is what we were created for. The Westminster Catechism summarizes that the chief end of man, the chief goal of man is to glorify God and, and enjoy him forever. Some have nuanced that and said that it's to glorify God by enjoying him forever. But the whole purpose of our lives is to worship him, to celebrate his goodness and his majesty, his greatness, his glory, his holiness, and the intimacy and the relationship that we have with him. That this is what we were created for. The issue is that in Genesis chapter 3, that the direction of our worship took a turn. Now, what happened in the Garden of Eden right after God created man and woman in, the, in his image to reflect his glory and to worship him is that, that the direction of our worship took a turn and they ate the fruit of the tree that God had forbidden them to eat. And, and out of that chapter, out of that moment, they became the center of the worship their desires, and they pass that on to every, every human from that moment on that we, we become the center of our worship, that our desires and our passions, our longings become the object of our focus, the central focus of our lives, and that, that passed down to all these other little G-gods, right? And, and it's ultimately, it's focused on what we desire, but we find it in, in safety and success and money and comfort in relationships and friends, it amazes me. The more I get to be around students and, and was a student pastor, I didn't see it as clearly back then, but the more I get to see it in students today, how much of life revolves around the acceptance of their friends. And I guess I did that. I mean, I'm sure that I did that, right? I, I don't, I, I, it's been so long, I don't remember it maybe. But it's just so clear that, these, that, that it's so much about what that person thinks about me. That my, my worship is really about what that person says and how they feel about me. It's not just, it's not just kids and students. It happens for adults as well. We make, we make relationships that little G-God that we worship. We, we, the next thing becomes that, that, that which we worship, right? Our kids, if you're a parent, we can fall into this so easily where our kids become the center of our world. And really, we don't recognize the reality that we are focusing all of our attention and our heart's affection on them. And we're supposed to love them, right? But they're never supposed to be the center of our world and take the place of God. We do that and, and we, we seek pleasure, we seek peace, we seek position, possessions, power, politics, popularity, and praise. All of these things become the object of our worship. And what we were created to do was reflect God's glory and worship Him and celebrate Him, but all of these other things take that place and sin distorts that worship and sends it in, in, in countless different directions. But there's only one who's worthy of our heart's attention, our heart's affection and our mind's attention. It's the one that created us, created us to worship him. The second thing that worship is, is worship is a response. And this goes back to chapter 12. It's a response to God for who he is, for what he's done and what he's doing in our lives. For who he is, it's a response for who he is and what he's done and what he's doing in our lives. 
Chapter 12, it begins like this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. I appeal to you, therefore. In Scripture, uh, you've heard me say this before, but in Scripture, when you see a therefore, the question that you ask is, what is that therefore, right? And then you just go back to what, what, what are we, why does he say therefore, right? And it, the most immediate context for that is really kind of as, as he meditates, as, as you go back to chapter 11, and we read this together last week as Pastor Nick closed, closed us uh, in, in reading the doxology, the, the, the most immediate context is Romans chapter 11 in verses 33 through 36, where at the end of kind of Paul reflecting on all of God's goodness from chapter 1 and, and, and into chapter 11, he says these words and is, he, he says this incredible doxology that we can read and rem, be reminded of. He says, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths are beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things, and to him be the glory forever. Amen. And the therefore, therefore, because of this, because of this incredible God who is unsearchable in his judgments, who the depth of his riches and wisdom is too great for us to understand that we've, none of us have known the mind of God or can be his counselor. None of us have given to him that he should repay us. Therefore, because everything was by him and for him and through him, therefore, in light of this grand truth, the first thing that Paul tells us to do is to worship. And it's our response to him. It's our natural response. It's our right response to him for who he is and what he's done and what he's doing. It's important for us to understand that these, in, in these first 11 chapters, to make, and while Paul spends so much time talking about the doctrine of justification and sanctification and the fact that this is what we have is not because of what we've done, but what Christ has done for us, that our salvation is, has nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. What we need that for is because in this moment when we talk about worship is we can confuse this and think that we are earning God's favor in the act of worship. But what we're told here is not that we're earning God's favor in the act of worship, but because of God's favor poured out on us in his grace that we now worship him. That worship is not this tryout for God's favor. It's not God's not looking around in here and being like, oh, you're doing a good job, but you're not raising your hands. You're, uh, what, what are you doing with your hands in your pocket? I mean, are you really even worshiping? God's not checking you out. It's not like the NFL combine to see who's the fastest worshiper. Who lifts the most? That's not a funny illustration. I thought it was good, so I'm just going to leave. We're going to leave it there. I'm, I'm, I'm running it out in my head, and it's like, yeah, this is stupid. Just stop. <laughs> We're not trying out for God's favor. The reason we worship is because God has poured out his favor on us. By grace, we, we didn't do anything to earn it. Therefore, because he has done these great things, we celebrate his grace. And as we celebrate his grace, as we worship, what happens in our hearts is we begin to understand more and more just how great his grace is. 
And that, that continues to, to, to flow over again and again to say, I, I become more and more grateful the more and more I worship him for the grace that he's poured out on me and recognizing that his grace is way greater than I ever realized that it could have been. And that only stirs my heart to worship him more and more. Right, so we grow in faith and we grow in a greater understanding of his grace as we worship him. Third thing that worship is, is it's more than a song or an event. It's more than a song or an event. I love, I love how scripture just kind of teaches us these things, right? Obviously, we sing, we, we sing worship songs together and we gather to, to worship regularly. And I have to watch myself, even, as, even sometimes as we, as we gather here on Sundays, I'll say, let's continue to worship. And I, I, listen, I mean that we are going to continue to worship through the songs that we sing, but we're worshiping the whole time that we're here. We're going to say this later on in the service. We worship in our giving. We worship as we open up God's word and we use our minds to understand who God is. We worship in our fellowship as we celebrate God's gift of friendship and relationship. Those are all aspects and moments that we get to worship. But it's more than a song. So it's more than a song. It's important. However, the song is important because listen, in Psalm 96 verses 1 through 3, it says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all people. In chapter, chapter 100, Psalm 100, verses 1 through, it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. He's saying serve. He's talking about this core team sign-up thing. That was the last time I'm going to do that, I promise. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It's he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 100 says, come before him into his presence. It's, it's an encouragement. It's a, hey, gather, church, gather Sing these songs together. There's the instruction clearly there that there are moments that we gather. So it is, it is definitely songs, but it, so it, it's certainly not less than songs or an event. But Scripture tells us that it is much more than that. It's, it's personal and it's public, right? There's numerous times in, in preparation for Sundays and reading and, and, and doing daily steps on, on, in the mornings as I'm, as I'm sitting in my little study. It sounds cooler when you say study. It's just a room in the front of the house, but I like to call it a study because it makes me feel like I'm really smart. That I'm sitting there by myself, drinking coffee, reading God's word. And there's, as I'm reading God's word, it just kind of boils up that I'm, I'm, I just begin to worship God in those moments. And they're early in the morning. And I promise I don't burst into song because I know the wrath that comes in waking up certain individuals <laughs> in my home before they're supposed to get up. So I don't sing loud a song, but I'm telling you in those moments, quietly, as I'm reading God's word, worship happens. Now, there are times in the car that I do sing real loud, and it's a, I'm sure it's obnoxious to people around me. My hands aren't raised in those moments, but I'm worshiping Jesus as I sit quietly in, the, in, in my study but it's even more than that. Psalm 150 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. 
Psalm 148 says, praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all, all you shining stars. And this passage is calling all of creation to worship. It's saying everything that has breath, the sun, the moon, the stars, all of it. The, and they're not gathering together in one place and singing songs, right? There's not a song that's happening. The moon is not gathering with the sun and the stars and being led by awesome worship leaders. Like we have Kendall's not leading a worship service in the, in the heavenlies, right, before, before they, on a Sunday morning, right? But, but in their own way, all of these things, all of God's creation, by doing what God created them to do, is worshiping him. That's why we can easily say that all of our life is worship. Everything that we do, when we live, when we, when we do the things that God's called us to do, that he's created us to do, not just coming here on Sunday mornings, but you at your, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, being a good neighbor, being a good friend to somebody. When we live life the way that God's called us to live, all of those things, 1 Corinthians, so whatever you do, whether it is eating or drinking, whatever, do it all for the glory of God. All of it's worship. So when we work, we worship. When we play, we worship. When we serve on Sundays, we worship. Even when we rest on Sunday afternoons, it is the most worshipful moment of my week to take a nap on Sunday afternoons. It is of God. If you don't, I'm not saying you're sinning, but it, it's close. I joke, please don't get mad at me and send me an email. It's worship is bigger than our circumstances. Worship is bigger than our circumstances, right? It says rejoice in Philippians. It says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And Paul writes to the, to the Philippians, I know what it means to be brought low. I know and how to abound. And in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry and abundance and need. He says in all of these things, I worship the Lord. I, I'm able to worship. It's bigger than the circumstances. It's an offer. Worship is an offering. Verse 1 again, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. There's this old pastor's illustration, which means that it's probably not true. Uh, and that, again, that was funny, and so y'all didn't laugh, so I have to work on how I deliver that one next time. This old pastor's illustration, uh, I, I don't know where I ran across it. I do know a friend of mine, I, I say a friend of mine, a guy that I'd, I've known that has told this story and acted like it was his own story and it was true, and I was like, I read that in another book before you said it, and I know it's not true. So I called him out on it, and that's why we're not friends now. The, um, <laughs> But that one, this one Sunday morning in a service, this kid named Tim, right? Is that because every good pastor story has a Tim in it? Tim, he, it, they're passing the offering at, at church, and uh, he, when when the plate gets to him, he sets the plate down on the ground, and he stands in the plate, and he lifts his arms to the heavens. And the deacon who's passing the plate's like, Tim, what are you doing? And he's like, in, in church, they said, or in Sunday school, they told us that to give our lives as worship. And so I don't have any money, but I'm giving myself to God. Now, can you imagine when I heard my friend tell that story? And I was like, dude, that's not, that didn't happen at your church because I, A, whatever, let's move on. It's a funny story, but the reality is that all of our lives, they are worship. We give 
everything to him. It is an offering to him. For Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live, I live in this flesh. I live by, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's calling us to give our whole lives to Jesus. Everything, everything we put on the altar of God. We give everything to him. Because we know, we know that our salvation cost him his life. We give him our whole lives in response. And it's the spiritual act of worship. It's the, it's the truest act of worship that we have. One pastor said it like this. He says, it's almost like Paul saying, don't just give Jesus your heart. He wants more than that. That's the standing issue in the church. He continues, the standing issue in the church today because, because there's a lot of people who want to give Jesus their heart, but they don't want to give him anything else. They want, they want their lives to be their own. They want to act their own way. They want to have their own priorities. They want to give Jesus their hearts for an hour or two at most a week. And the rest of their lives they want to themselves and they want under their own rule. But God's calling us to lay our whole lives down. It's an offering, it's everything at the altar. And so that tells us a little bit about what, spirit, what worship is, but I wanna finish with what worship does. First, what worship does, it establishes God in his rightful place. Establishes God in his rightful place. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, in view by God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is a holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Listen, it is impossible for me to be on the throne of my life and on the altar where I belong at the same time. When I live my life the way that God's called me to live, when I respond to this, when I lay my life down as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, it is impossible for me to occupy the throne of my life and the altar where God's called me to be at the same time. And so it puts God in the right place and it puts me in the right place. It, what worship does is it says you're in charge and I am not. What worship does is it says, God, you are the one. This is your rightful place. And my rightful place is at the altar, laying my life down completely as a spiritual act of worship. Second thing that worship does is it puts our eyes on Jesus. It sets our eyes on Jesus. Philippians chapter 4 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Second Corinthians, it says, look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. It puts our eyes on Jesus to give him the praise that he deserves. When we sing these songs on Sunday mornings as we gather, as you sing them in private in your cars, as you, as you, as you hang out with friends and have worship times in those kind of places, we turn, it, worship turns our eyes towards him. One of the greatest hymns, songwriters, hymns, songwriters wrote these words in, in this hymn where it says, Oh, my soul that is weary and troubled, no light in the darkness to see. There's a light for a look at the Savior, a life more abundant and free. Listen to what it says. 
to turn my eyes upon Jesus. In the midst of that darkness, in the midst of those places that are hard and impossible to live in, in those moments where it says, turn our eyes on Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And all the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Worship puts God in his rightful place. It turns our eyes on Jesus. It transforms our lives. Paul says, do not be conformed any longer to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Rather than being transformed, be conformed is what he's saying. And, and other translations and really kind of going to what Paul, the grammar of what Paul's actually saying in this passage, he's saying, hey, stop being conformed. Stop being conformed to the ways of this world. Because the reality is that if we're not actively putting ourselves in these places to be transformed, for our minds to be transformed by the goodness of God, then whether we recognize it or not in, in small ways and sometimes in big ways, we are being conformed to the likeness of the world. So we have to pay attention to say, God, transform me. I put myself in these places. I, I want to worship you so that my life is being transformed. So I'm hearing the truth. I'm proclaiming the truth. I'm celebrating the truth of who you are and what you've done and are doing in my life that my heart can continue to be transformed by you because otherwise easily I'm being conformed into the likeness of this world. It makes God's will clear. The end of verse 2, it says, By testing you may discern what God's will is. What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? What worship does is it transforms our mind. It transforms, and our minds are transformed, and we get to see what God's will is for our lives. And a lot of times, I think we, we struggle. We have so many times, I, I talk to, especially with college students and, and, and high school students and young adults, you get to hear them talk about the struggle for what God's will for their lives is. And, 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 and in the process, you see their lives are rotating around, worshiping all of these different things, career and, and money and friends. And you're like, well, your eyes are on the wrong thing. You're being conformed by the wrong thing. You, you, you're, you're worshiping the wrong things. And when you fix your eyes on, Jesus and turn your eyes to the things that he tells us to, to fix our eyes on, all of a sudden, as our minds are transformed, his will becomes clear. What is good and pleasing and perfect. And we begin to look more and more like him. And we land in that place in the center of his will. As the band comes this morning, we want to wrap up by, by being reminded of ultimately the greatest sacrifice that, that gives us the opportunity to worship. That as we sing songs together and celebrate God's goodness, as we, as we open up God's word and we read and, and study God's word here in, in, on Sundays and in, in our times alone uh, during the week as we work through daily steps, as you gather in community groups, as you serve on, in, in different places and using the gifts that you've been given by God to, for his glory and, and to serve the, the body and all of those things, all of that flows from the fact that that Christ was the sacrifice first. 
that as we offer our lives as a living sacrifice, we recognize that Christ first offered his life as a sacrifice. In the greatest act of love, in the, in the, in the most incredible moment of, of loving and, and, and coming after those who had run after him, run away from him, he comes after us and lays down his life for us. Worship doesn't happen. There's, there's, no, there's, there's really no reason for us to gather here on Sunday mornings and do all of this to, to call us to serve, to call us to be in community groups, to, to grab your Bibles and read them, unless what Christ did in laying down his life happens first. His is the sacrifice that leads us to lay our lives down as a sacrifice. His is the sacrifice that equips us because he not only sacrificed his life, but he rose from the dead and gives us new life. And his is the sacrifice that leads to that new life where we get to use those gifts that he's given us in ways that honor him and serve the body. So let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you alone and you, you alone are worthy that it was your sacrifice first that, play, that paved the way that now we're called to lay our lives down as a sacrifice, as a spiritual act of worship. Father, have our hearts this morning. Let us be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we turn our eyes to you and let us see what your will is. It's in Christ's strong and mighty name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.